All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tentabai, joined by Dr. Justin Quinn. That music that you heard at the top, that's Divine Sweater and Alex's at band practice. So we're without Alex tonight. We are perhaps with um, some of Justin's neighborhood dogs down in Mexico City. So if you hear a little bit of background noise, that's the, uh, the dogs who are excited to hear about game one of the Eastern Conference Finals and game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's what we're going to get into today. We are first going to talk about uh, something that was not so good, which was game one for the Celtics, but hopefully we'll get into something exciting, which is some updates for game two. It's 10 past the hour or 15 past 10. Um, um, what is it? Wednesday, Wednesday night here in the East coast. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's Wednesday night. <laughs> um, so that's where we're at in terms of breaking news and all that jazz. So just a long, long, long intro, uh, rapid reaction to game one. Really awesome first half. Uh, kill me now if the rest of the series is like the second half. Yeah, that's a good way of summing it up. Anyone who didn't watch the game, the Celtics were up eight at halftime. Um, and they looked good. It was, you know, they were firmly in control, it seemed like. But there were signs that this was not going to be a total cakewalk, that Miami played good defense. So they were going to, that they were not going to get blown out, um, that Miami had some shooters, that they we're going to be able to fight back from big leads and that Boston wasn't playing amazing, but they were playing great. Um, such that again, pretty good feeling at halftime. Uh, reportedly, Ime Doka told his Boston Celtics, Hey, the Heat are going to play more physical in the second half. We need to be ready for this. And we know that Eric Spolstra loves in-game adjustments. And indeed the Heat were much more physical picking up particularly Jason Tatum, like basically at the half point line. Um, and it was perhaps the worst quarter of Celtics basketball we've seen since December, if not all year, uh, all all year long. I heard some kind of uh, it was one of the worst quarters of Celtics basketball, not just in the last year, but nearly ever. <laughs> so it's uh, I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. We we don't need to, I guess, spend so much time on it because it was such perhaps an abnormality. But for anyone who doesn't know. Miami outscored Boston 39 to 14. Boston had eight turnovers in the period. Um, they shot 13% from the field, missed all of their threes. Um, and they obviously lost the battle in the glass as well. Um, yeah, Justin, what about that quarter was most discouraging from a Celtics perspective? Body language and reaction, they just checked out. They stopped playing. They, they, yeah. they had no interest in competing in that. And, you know, eventually they got their, their excuse my language, I'm going to just curse your shit together. Uh, and by the time they did, it didn't really matter, um, as has been pointed out by others. Uh, you cannot get down deep to this Heat team. They are way, way too good at what they do to be trying to fight your way back as like the first half of the season Celtics did with regularity. And that's really what we saw just on steroids. They were very sloppy. They stopped moving the ball. They defaulted to ISO. They did not pick up the, de the de defense to the degree it needed to be at. I mean, every single thing that you could have done wrong, they just didn't do. And they didn't even have a good reason to do it because like we have been saying, they kicked ass in the first half. Yeah, we've seen a few disgusting, I guess, quarters from the Celtics in the postseason. Um, what was it? Game three against the Bucs or game five against the Bucs, whichever. Pick your poison. 
um, but nothing quite like this. And to your point, like the, really just the system fell apart. Um, it just really disheartening because you would think coming after halftime, they had a little more juice, they had time to kind of game plan. And what Miami was doing wasn't that radically different. Something that I wonder is if Derek White um, needed to handle the ball more. They were really letting Jason Tatum bring the ball up. And I, I don't think that that was working. Um, and what's hard is the Celtics won ostensibly every other quarter. They outscored Miami 28 to 25 in the first, 34 to 29 in the second, and 31 to 25 in the fourth. They were the better team. I think we said this in our last episode of the podcast, they have more talent. Um, but what they did was they dug an unbelievable hole for themselves going into the final frame. And Jimmy Butler played like a man possessed um, really all game long. But in the fourth quarter, he scored 10 points, he had two rebounds, two assists, two blocks. And when you're going up against someone, maybe not an all-time player, but someone who's playing like an all-time player, building huge deficits to try to overcome when the dudes on the other side are playing lights out, this is not going to happen. 18 trips to the foul line of which he converted 17. That more than anything else in this game, really more than anything else was the key to this game. I think they could have come back from that deficit in the third quarter Considering everything else, if they had just found a way not to let this man get to the line as much as he did, he's going to get to the line. There's no mm-hmm. way you're going to keep Jimmy Butler away from the free throw line. But you need to keep it to like a dozen or less. If he if he gets that many trips, it's because you aren't defending him correctly. I expect them to adjust. I expect to see better, better coverage. Uh, I, I expect to see less biting on pump fakes. It's, just, it's as if, so here's the thing. And this is this, like, I want to have confident because the Celtics have taken learning from their mistakes religiously, right? But they are mm-hmm. at a point in the playoffs against a coach in the playoffs where they're going to need to start doing that in-game. They yeah. cannot, they cannot keep doing this because they will be able to adjust. But then once they adjust in game, in game two, by halftime, Spo will also adjust, and then they'll have to adjust their adjustment. If they don't have a counter to that, they'll they'll come back to Boston in the zero to, to two deficit. So, and uh, that's not crazy, and that a series doesn't start till a team wins a road game. Um, we we kind of expected Boston to to look a little lackluster in game one. It'd be disappointing if they were lackluster in game two. They do need to win a road game to win the series, but it's not fundamentally. an over and done deal if they lose game two. But to your point, I I found it so upsetting. I think the seven minute mark in the third quarter, something like that, uh, you may call them angry timeout as well. He might. And the next three possessions were turnovers or ISO ball from the Celtics. Um, And either that means you is not offering the right solution, running the right plays. I mean, there was one timeout where they ran a dark white three from the corner and I just, I don't think that's the right call. Um, so either Ime is not necessarily offering the right adjustments or perhaps more accurately, his star players are not um, reacting to them. Tatum had six turnovers in the third quarter and they were ugly, lazy turnovers. Jalen Brown had two, which is, I guess, an okay number, but by and large, the two best players on the Celtics with their third and fourth best player on the bench looked completely flummoxed and not and Miami really didn't do that much different. Um, 
So it's again, it's Wednesday night, probably people will listen to this on Thursday. So we won't spend too much time on a game that um, dedicated fans will have already kind of emotionally processed. But any other thoughts on game one? Um, if you want to walk on the sunny side of the street? Uh, there's a few positive takeaways we should probably shout out. Yeah, the fact that they were in this game almost to the very end. I mean, we all knew it was over when Jimmy just ripped the, the, the ball out of Peyton Richard's mm-hmm. uh, hands like he was just like a, a kid with a lollipop. It was yeah, not the best matchup, but I mean, apart from just being out-toughed, uh, losing the mental game, which is what Miami tries to make you do, and that's what they were successful doing, uh, they did respond very well in the fourth quarter up until about that point. They, they just need better mental focus. And I think that they, they managed to show that in the first half before they were challenged. And they managed to respond in the fourth quarter once they realized what the stakes were, once it really sunk in, I guess. I'm not going to try to get in their heads any more than I just did. But uh, that can't happen again. And I don't think it's going to to that degree. It's probably going to happen to some degree. Mm-hmm. But I also we can we can kind of pivot to some some future looking stuff at this point because we've gotten some fairly good news about at least one player who wasn't on the court in Marcus Smart who's expected well he's not expected but he's listed as probable to play in game two with his foot sprain. So and, let's um let me just put a pin on that. I want to shout out yeah. one thing from game one. Go ahead. Um talk to talk about our friends at betonline.ag and then we'll talk about game two. Um just quickly, uh, loose change from game one. Pete and Pritchard played 30 minutes, uh, shot the ball pretty bad, 4 of 11 from 3, and to your point, played two big first bridges, took the ball right into the heart of the defense, and was exposed. Brett Williams definitely had a big game seven hangover, um, and that's a problem because if the role players are having game seven hangovers, the star players have to step up even more. Um, so before, again, we move on the way I said we were going to, we got to talk about Robert Williams, who looked out of gas, banged up, and really, really good. Um, six of eight in the field, nine rebounds, he two, two blocks and like 10 more near blocks. I mean, it was the Robert, Robert Williams we have come to know and love, with the caveat that his conditioning is still a problem. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about Rob, Rob at all, but I do think it's like worth there are some positives from this game and Rob Williams being back, uh, I think um, is a really, really good one. I, I am actually really excited about that. I think that using him in the way that he has been used most of the season and where he is kind of a weak side blocker, mostly for Jimmy, but also for some of their other shooters um, is going to be really, really fruitful. I want to see more Derek white, uh, guarding those uh, Jimmy Butler attacks on the rim. I think that if we have Marcus Smart available in his place even more, I think that's going to be even more fruitful in terms of changing up how this team is defending. Uh, there's also something to be said for ball control, which I think we're going we're gonna to see a little bit more of an improvement from along everyone across the board because this is a team that they are facing now that while they were – looking at a team that really thrives off of turnovers in the last round, they, they got them off of three pointers for the most part. Mm-hmm. This team likes to get up into you and play physically like they did in the second half. I do not know why they were not playing that way from the start. I bet they were saving it. I bet they, they knew that they could get in Boston's head. Well, they sure did. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I don't think that's going to be as effective once they do sit down and take a look at what they were doing wrong. Um, they were really being way too careless. And some of that might be fatigue, but I don't think that fatigue was the main problem here with the exception of Rob. I think it was just as we saw in game one of the last round where they kind of played the Bucks like they played the Nets. It yeah. seems to me they were kind of playing the Heat like they were playing the Bucks. So I'm pretty confident that once they work through that and kind of adjust their minds and their style of play to who they're facing, that they're going to be a lot better, particularly with players back in the fold, at least Marcus Smart, uh, that would be a lot more helpful to that style of play. Well, let me pick up that thread um, and run with that. But first, let me pause the action to talk about our good friends at betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting, and of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games, too. It's really easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up. Use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts. And Justin, as you alluded to, things are going to look different for Boston. Right now, bet online, if you are somebody who likes to bet, they have for game two, the Heat are laying a, a minus 135. So very slight favorites for game two, um, which uh, maybe makes sense there, the home team. But Boston, as of 10.28 East Coast time, maybe expects to have Marcus Smart back in the fold. Um, so we can talk about him first. We've already kind of alluded to that as such. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, mid-foot sprain um, to go along with, I'm sure, a bunch of very serious bumps and bruises along the way, but um, not serious enough that he wasn't on the sideline looking spectacular in game one, coaching players up. I mean... A lot of Marcus Smart, a lot of maybe he should be the captain kind of stuff. Um, but hopefully he's going to do more than that. He's actually going to play in game one. And to your point, the way that that changes the rotation is just really important. Uh, Peyton Pritchard just can't play 30 minutes. Uh, I really like Peyton Pritchard. I believe that he is a really, really, really important eighth man, uh, but not a sixth man, not a semi-starter. I will tell you that I have great trepidation about welcoming smart back um, because if his foot isn't right, he could aggravate it. So just at face value, um, that's really troubling to me because losing smart for the rest of the series, or if there were to be a beyond would be a really big deal. Um, but I trust, uh, I'm not a medical doctor, nor are you, you're a different kind of doctor. Um, I trust that that's, better people than we are on the case. Um, I'll say I'm going to be a total rain cloud here. I, I also worry about bringing smart back if he's not ready, because in the same way that every so often the ghosts of Celtics teams past specifically from like November, December, rear their, their ugly head, like they did in quarter three, the, the version of Marcus, yeah, the version of Marcus smart where he's a little hurt and a little frustrated and then does the bad Marcus smart stuff would be, really not good. And I would, I think, change the mood. I think Boston could lose game two and be fine, but if they lose game two in really ugly fashion, not so much. Um, if they beat themselves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 
there are different ways you beat yourself. Um, but Marcus Smart not being the point guard that we we've seen him evolve into, or hucking a bunch of threes that he ought not to because he's frustrated because he's hurt might be in play. Again, this is pure speculation, not any reporting that we have special. Um, you, I think, are more optimistic about Smart's return. Yeah, I was actually surprised he didn't even play in game one. Uh, it must have really been bothering him. But I mean, seeing images of him like going up um, an airplane ladder with his own yeah, quite a lot <laughs> of it. That that you know, credit to Keith Smith who who found that that photo and made that that connection. But I mean, that convinced me that there was a very good chance he was going to play. And I don't think they're going to put him in a position to do exactly what you're talking about. I don't think that they have not thought about this as well. So I'm fairly optimistic he may not play that much he may play in short stints he may play kind of like the Derek White role when Derek when they're both healthy uh Mm -hmm. but I I would probably I would be surprised if he doesn't end up playing this next game based on what we've been hearing which the good version of Marcus Smart uh Boston had 22 assists in game one fine not good not great and uh 38 total rebounds uh these are the Miami's 39 rebounds, so admirable, but not good, not great. Um, Jalen Brown needs to learn how to box out. That's I'm done talking about game one, but goodness gracious, that was glaring. Um, yeah, bringing Marcus Smart back, assuming he's right, that's going to be huge um, for the Celtics. That takes so much pressure off the Jays to run the offense, but also takes pressure off of Peyton Pritchard and uh, Aaron Neesmith. Man, not great body control. Still kind of doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, but the flashes are there. Um, I'm, I'm, and, buying a, I'm buying a stock, but don't yeah. please don't let him play in the playoffs anymore. I mean, I'm okay if you throw him in just to, like, remind people they need to try on defense. Yeah. That's great. But, I yeah. mean, we are way past the point this season where we should be expecting that ball to go in when he launches it from deep. I believe in his shot. It doesn't look bad, but there's a confidence thing there, and you're not going to find that like against the number four regular season defense. It's just not going to happen. So, good. I like what I saw, but like short little bursts. Um, why don't we close with the Horford stuff? Because I'm not sure how long we'll go on that. Um, any other game two adjustments or series adjustments that after watching game one, independent of Horford, which I mean, obviously is a big thing to put on pause. Um, that you wanted to shout out? Uh, if, if you were watching the game, Grant Williams was mic'd up again. They really like to mic him up. Uh, big surprise, mm-hmm. given how famously he likes to talk. Uh, and he was saying all the right things. They were not listening to what he was saying, but playing their way, not getting sped up, doing the things that got them there, not you know stopping trusting each other, uh, not trying to win it at all, not ISOing. Like he was mentioning all of that stuff on, on his mic. And those are the adjustments. I really don't think that there yeah. is anything fundamental to do other than what they were doing in the fourth quarter to adjust to suppose adjustments of how they were defending them more aggressively. Just, you know, quicker decisions, uh, more varied offense, more ball movement. I mean, I sound like a broken record at this point, as I think many of us do. There's only very small adjustments at this point, I think, in the playoffs. The teams have been watching each other in their own series before they faced Mm -hmm. each other. So 
I would be surprised if we see any major changes of any kind at this point, because what got them there works, you know, I mean, you have to adjust for the team in front of you, but there's some fundamental things about rotations and styles of play that you, you can't shift too, too much. Yeah. I mean, I think I just want to see the Jays keep a cool head and maybe they need smart and Horford or Derek white to help them with that. But Miami is going to at the drop of a hat, start playing zone or, sag instead of let's on defense or whatever they're going to do, it's not going to be consistent. And so the Jays, they can play with confidence. I said early on in game one, Tatum's the most talented player in the series and he is, and he can play like that, but that doesn't mean he's going to get every call. And that doesn't mean he can just huck threes um, because it's not always going to work. And so I'm really looking to see not like, can they respond? Like, are they going to get big? But like, in a smaller way, yeah. Not can they go out and hit seven of nine from three, but like can they play the way the team needs them to play, given what Miami's throwing at them? And Miami's the higher seed, Miami's the home team, Miami's the veteran team that has more recently been to the finals. They're not the definitive pace setter, but they're going to set the parameters for a lot of things. And Boston needs to be flexible um, in a way that I didn't see from. Jason or Jalen. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. They're very inflexible. And Spo, uh, I don't know which media availability he said it, and I just saw it online, but he made the point that Jimmy Butler plays to win while most people are playing basketball, even very, very well. <laughs> that's not the same thing, right? I like that, yeah. And it's like true. That you know, the, the Jason Tatum was furiously trying to play the best basketball he could play, but he wasn't trying to play the best team basketball he could play. And he wasn't trying to win. He was trying to out talent. Yeah. Miami Heat, And it's not enough. Yeah. I, I, and we've talked about being 24. Isn't the same as being 29. Anyone who's 29 knows you're still dumb as rocks when you're 24. Um, and that's just neurology. That's just psychology. So the way that Taylor and Brown, see the world and see the game might be different than the way that Horford and, and Butler do. Um, so I think they do see it that way. I just don't think they see it as consistent. Consistency is right. I, for 12 minutes of the third quarter, I don't think that they, it, there was nothing to suggest that they were being reflective about like, Oh, it's time to do something different. Um, and maybe they think we're better. And that, that confidence Bordering between confidence and arrogance sometimes is a good thing, and we're just keep doing it until it works. But I don't think that works when your third or fourth best player are in reserve. You have to be a little humble there. Um, so I'm looking to recap, and I'll ask you the same thing for game two and beyond. Really excited to see what Robert Williams could do. Um, really excited to see if between Pritchard, Grant Williams, and uh, Derek White, there's a little more equilibrium, a little bit coming back to earth, but not too much. Um, because it's been a real joy to root for them. And then obviously I'm um, I'm looking to see what the Jays uh, adapt to or or not, I guess, quite frankly, with a, an honest eye. Um, what are you looking for in game two and beyond? Uh, more of the chess match. More of the chess mm-hmm. match between Spo and Ime. Ime made good adjustments to the coverage they, they smacked them with. And it's hard to say when exactly that happened not being there because we only saw the results in the fourth quarter but you know apart from reeling in that frustration which is you know how Miami beats you I can't say that enough 
seeing what Ime is capable of against really one of, if I mean, a lot of people say that Greg Popovich is the best and he is one of the best developmental coaches. Uh, I do think that, you know, Spo is also, but when it comes to the straight up tactics, I don't know if there is anyone better in the league than he is. So mm-hmm. this is, this is one of the, the key things that we mentioned as being a potential X factor in the series. And so far there has been a good return on his adaptation to Spo's adaptation, but it wasn't very timely. And I don't know why that is yet. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like it was just, you know, they were in their own heads. They were frustrated, yeah. but they're going to have to work together to, to like make those adjustments happen faster if they are, or, or, uh, Ime is just going to have to adjust faster. I'm not sure which it is yet. I don't know if it's possible to tell, but I mean, that's really Between both. Yeah. I think it probably is. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll, we'll transition to talk about the Warford thing. One thing I will say is that um, we're rooting for the Celtics a little bit to a lot, depending on the moment, but um, I think this team is really cool and really talented. And it's been so much fun to just watch Bam play defense. Um, so I do this with smart t- sometimes I'm sure you do the same and rather than watch the ball, watch the defenders and to see how athletic and quick Bam is for someone who's so big. Um, there are just so many plays from game one where he's in the post and then he follows someone to three point line and then he switches and he's still a huge problem. Um, so the basketball family really impressed. All right. Let's, let's recap what we think we know, what we do know about Al Horford. It's 10 39. East Coast time, Wednesday night. Horford missed game one. He's in health and safety protocols, the the COVID ones. Uh, We believe the reporting very, very, very much, the self-reporting and other, that Al Horford is vaccinated. Um, So our theory here at Celtics Lab is that, A, he was sick enough to say, I need to take a COVID test. And that yielded a positive result, which is a responsible and good thing to do. Um, and until he produces two negative tests within 24 hours, we think that's still the protocol. Um, he can't return to action, which is why he's doubtful for Thursday's game. There's another possibility, which is he was a close enough contact that either he asked to be tested or someone said, Al, you got to get a test, um, which would probably lead to confusion enough to have him sit out of the game, but could bring him back as soon as Thursday. Um, and Justin, you said there's a little bit of reporting on this. Yeah. So let's back up and, and review a couple of important things that aren't necessarily super widely known, namely starting with the testing regime. So players are not tested the way they were earlier in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They are only tested if they want to be tested. They exhibit symptoms or, as you noted, they are around people who are, you know, proxy to the team that have some reason to give you like a positive test themselves, symptoms, whatever. Um, In those cases, then they will be tested. If that is not happening, they are not tested and they just keep on going until something comes up where someone is symptomatic and is tested. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of problems with that we have talked about, um, about this um, ad infinitum. I'm not going to bore people with it, but that's the system that exists, right? So based on what you said, there is some reporting from Brian Winhorst on Get Up that several members of the Celtics traveling party have come up with positive test results this week. Um, as we have mentioned in our conversations privately, 
in a state like Massachusetts or in a state like Florida, which does not have its own stellar record of COVID prevention, um, there there are significant ambient cases to to be had mm-hmm. right now. There are mini surges going on. They're not anything like what we saw earlier, but they are elevated. Uh, I'll push back. The wastewater in Boston is we're back to numbers like in January. Um, the reporting, I'm, I'm talking the worst of the worst of it. I'm, I'm, what I'm January was close to the worst of the worst of it. It's a ten percent positivity rate. I just I don't want people to think that Massachusetts no, no, is. You're, you're right. We shouldn't downplay. It. No, no, we shouldn't downplay. It. You're right. Um, so what we know about that is we haven't heard anybody, you know, releasing any statements to the contrary. We have no reason mm-hmm. to disbelieve when horsed on this. This isn't that crazy of a thing to report. And when you think about it from this, it makes a lot of sense, regardless of one of the which of those two possibilities you said it could be. Sure. Um, there's no reason to dis- disbelieve anyone who says they are fully vaxxed. Um, I don't think it would go over very well to the degree where they might be severely disciplined by endangering the you know, financial and physical well-being of their teammates and team and league uh, by lying about that sort of thing. You can go down whatever, you know, Toronto-esque rabbit hole you desire. I have no interest in doing that. I'm a firm believer that people who want to be vaccinated and think the vaccination is good should be very vocal about it if they choose not to be or choose not to be vaccinated and keep their mouths shut. I would prefer that they are vaccinated, but when it comes to people's vaccination status, their privacy should be respected when applicable. We should be concerned about availability, not vaccine decisions that are not being made public. It's great when they are public, uh, but when it comes to people saying that they are vaccinated, I don't. I just don't see any reason to disbelieve them. Yeah, it, it's it's not. I, I don't have any doubt there. There's enough, I don't know that there's solid reporting on this, but a lot of whispers and innuendo that Giannis had COVID for the finals last year. And even though Chris Paul had to sit for two games with COVID protocols that Giannis had COVID, um, his girlfriend or his significant other had COVID and he was an exposure. And there's, again, I think there's some reporting. Yeah. There, so this is also, we a lot of people have probably memory dumped this by now because no one wants to think about this crap and i don't blame you if you have tuned this out i also don't blame you uh thanks for listening if you're still with us but <laughs> the the league's covid regime whatever you think of it good bad negative neutral whatever they are letting people come back and play while they have covid yeah full stop this is happening right now This is not a conspiracy theory. This is something Adam Silver has said. The science says once you are positive, but below a certain level, your chances of transmitting it to other people in public and like in an arena with lots of open air, like not in the stands, right? Mm -hmm. But like if you're playing and you're mostly separated from from the rest of society, um, your chances of, of spreading it are fairly low according to the science they cite. I am not an expert. I don't know enough about it. I am highly skeptical of this policy. I am frankly very surprised, particularly with the resurgence we've been talking about that we have not seen more of it. Um, But that being said, without going on another long COVID rant, this is what's happening. So that may very well have been the case. Well, so yeah, I was going to say, I think that there's a world where Alport plays on Thursday or Saturday as someone who functionally has COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's really dangerous for him. 
Um, I think that it's a respiratory disease um, and you could really do harm if he is, makes the wrong choice. And then I also think um, to your point that it, it's from a community spread point of view with it's outdated or asinine science. Um, most of the Omicron data suggests that peak infectiousness is around day eight. Um, and so the five days of quarantine and all of that stuff is CDC baloney as best I can tell. Um, which is to say that if anyone is still listening, what we do know is that the rapid tests don't pick up Omicron until day five or six. So they're not particularly helpful. You should get a PCR test that you can be infectious past day five, even if you're not symptomatic. I think they're using the PCR test now. Oh, I just mean for anyone listening, I don't want to, Okay, gotcha. I don't care if they have confusion with the MBA policy, but just while we have anyone's ear, um, because yeah, the state of COVID is as, rapidly returning to a pretty horrible place. Um, so on that wonderful note, we can end there. Um, to recap, game one, good, except for the third quarter. Game two, will be great to welcome Smart back. Probably won't welcome, welcome Horford back. Um, if the Celtics win, great. If they lose, not so bad. If they beat themselves and they lose, ugly. Okay, that's probably a problem. Um, I'm away this weekend. Alex is away this weekend. Maybe Justin will hop on and give you all a podcast sometime this weekend, but if not, we will check in early next week, hopefully with some more positive news to uh, digest. But otherwise, if you're still here, thanks for listening. Like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and we will catch you soon.